Game of Thrones, Series 2. I'm Caleb Woodbridge. I'm Sarah Burrow. And welcoming Kieran Mathers. regular reviewer on the site, especially of Game of Thrones and, and, and Walking Dead. Yeah, so zombies, so, Swords of Zombies appears to be my speciality at the moment. <laughs> Good specialities to have. <laughs> yes, well, especially when they're combined, as frequently they are in Game of Thrones. Uh, we're here to discuss the upcoming Series 2 of Game of Thrones on the telly. Also look back on Series 1 and discuss the book a bit. So uh, we'll start off with some general introductions for those who might not be uh, familiar with it. Yep, and that's my, that was my point. I'm joining this one. I've never read or watched any of Game of Thrones. So the first question for you, Kieran, is um, why should I bother? It's a very good question, actually. You should probably bother because it's the best sequence of fantasy novels that have been written in at least the last 20 years. As a book... They're very, very well regarded. I mean, they came out years and years ago. They came out in 1997, so the book is now almost, what, 15 years old? The first one is. But they're very powerful, they're very well written, and they're extremely complicated. I believe at one point they were referred to as crack for geeks, because you actually start reading this, and you think, oh, it's not just another genre fantasy novel. Two chapters in, you will forget most of what you've read before, and you will finish it probably in, in one setting, because it really is that uh, immediate and that interesting. That'll be why. I mean, the the TV show is very, very good, because it's a very good rendition of the books. The reason you should watch it is because it's quicker than reading the book. I mean, the book's 900 pages, so... Yeah, the book is quite long. The book is quite long. It's also... The TV show is, is very good at what it's aiming to do. It's a very, very skilled adaption. Uh, it's got great acting, it's got great characters in there. The characters are taken from the book, and a lot of them transfer very, very well. And it's good to see people with such complexity of character, which is where the book really excels. At no point does George R. R. Martin try and write down to anyone. It's not children's literature, and it's suitably complicated because it's not children's literature. Not that children's literature has to be written down. But no, take, no, take... alright, sorry. <laughs> that, yeah, but... It, comparatively, you couldn't do in something like Harry Potter half mm. a, a, a tenth of what George R. 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 Martin does. What I mean, what I when I say to intellectual, what I actually mean is, this is a book you would not give to children yeah. at all because you scar them for life. <laughs> 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 There's bits of, bits of that series of books that still scar me, and I'm what, 27. Yeah, so I mean, that's that's probably not actually a very good description of it. I guess we'll start with setting. It starts in a world called Westeros, which is a little bit like a Tolkien-esque environment. It's a sort of a faux medieval world where, for some reason or another, technology has stood still for 3,000 years. So they've had a sort of perpetual medieval time. 
the Westeros is divided into the, the Seven Kingdoms, which were originally united two centuries before the book starts by a, a lord from abroad riding a dragon, and he brings his dragons and he unites through fire and blood the Seven Kingdoms under his control. What's happened by the beginning of the first book is that that line of kings went completely mad and were deposed by Robert Baratheon, who is now the current king of Westeros. His best friend, Ned Stark, who served with him during the war, is the Lord of the North. And the book actually begins with ne with Baratheon coming back to see Ned Stark to, to make him his chief advisor, because he's the only man he trusts. What works really well with this is this kind of demonstrates that the book is mostly about sex and politics and how the two combine and shouldn't combine frequently. Um, it definitely it definitely plays out like, uh, or at least the first book at least, plays out like the, the beginning of the War of the Roses, a sort of a dynastic conflict across the continent. And it takes in a really rich variety of characters. You you start off with looking at the at the five Stark children, who are the principals, at least at this point in the series. And you see what happens to them through through their experience. They they go south several of them go south, they separate. And then as the conflict kicks off, as the opposing house called the Lannisters, who currently control the throne, as they make their bid for power after when Baratheon comes to his end. When they make their bid for power, you get to see the true dynastic chaos of, of what is hmm. what has taken place. And the reason it's good is because that is messy and unpleasant and violent. And it, it, it's the absolute antithesis of Tolkien. Similar setting, but the the approach to it is both modern, because it's, mm. it's very, I hate the term, but gritty, but it's also very historical, because if you know any history of the War of the Roses and the, that sort of period of English history specifically, mm. that's kind of what happened. Yeah, just so, uh, from my perspective, uh, I've been hearing a lot about uh, this uh, series from Kieran and his reviews and stuff, and I've been getting... Uh, stuck into the first book recently for myself, so uh, I'm around. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'd love to go back and reread it. It'd be um, great. Around a third of the way in, I guess. And uh, I would say that it is very readable. Um, it's uh, it does draw you in, and it does move a lot between lots of different characters. There is a very broad cast, and that's one of the things that keeps you interested is that uh, you're always getting things with some characters and then you see another perspective and moving between them and going back and finding out what happens next to the other ones it manages that very well to draw you in and, uh, the other thing to say is actually it's, it's you hit on it when you said it's very readable it's very readable but it's also very it's very well written at the same yes, time yes. Because, because the Especially with some of the characters. I mean, you're dealing with, especially the Stark children. I mean, you've got a character who is nine years old. And you've got a, another woman who is about 14. And they read perfectly. They read like you, like I remember being like when I was seven. It doesn't mean that it's, it doesn't, it doesn't lose anything because the, the description is still there. But the actual way they act is very, very well observed. And it's good to see, under, maybe not, understandable but relatable characters in that and relatable characters with which you relate to yourself on the the comment of the big readable it's also it's very readable when it's a kindle and not 
in book form yeah, I would yeah. imagine. I, I, I am reading it on Kindle, so I don't have to look all over the trade I do yeah. imagine that uh, I speak as one of them. There's possibly a few people who now own the first book on Kindle because I don't know if you're aware, Kieran, but at Christmas, Kindle did a sale and the first book was £2, which well, I think is the reason why Caleb and I both own the first book on Kindle. <laughs> so, um, okay. Spartacus was one. Yeah. There's been lots of those sort of genre TV series, and I've not watched any of them religiously by any means, but I've seen the odd episode of all of them. They all do the same thing. Yeah. They've all got the violence and they've all got the sex in them, and it's exactly the same idea. And it is a shame that they seem to think that to do a, a drama of this sort of idea, that that's what you need to throw yeah. in. No, no, I mean, the Borgias did the same thing. Please, please, um, don't think, please don't think what I'm saying is, I don't like the sex and violence. What I'm saying is, yes, keep it in there because it, it, it provides a wonderful counterpoint to the drama. What it doesn't do is don't put it in there where, when it doesn't need to be there. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it shouldn't be there at all. Yes. But it does seem to be a theme that it is in there a lot in a lot of these you know, yeah. sorts of dramas. But but I, I, I think Erin Sorkin is a really good example of a very adult, intelligent writer who doesn't rely on, on sex to sell his, his show because you do have the relationships between uh, some of the characters I mean the first episode of The West Wing has uh, Sam Seaborn uh, being found out with uh, discovering he's accidentally slept with a uh, uh, <laughs> cool girl uh, but yeah. it's, it's oh, not what, I tripped and fell <laughs> <laughs> all those jokes are in there <laughs> um, uh, but uh, it's not explicit, and yeah. it it explores the consequences of of that. And that you're you're not you're not being titillated. It's it's not playing it up in this. Uh, oh, this is um, in that kind of but adolescent way. It's not. I actually, I, I'm not sure adolescent is the correct way of doing it because actually they approach they approach it in a very arguably a more mature way because they, they basically say unlike American TV which suffers from hypocr- a little bit of hypocrisy in terms of portrayals of sex versus portrayals of violence mm. violence is graphic sexism they've actually just said well if we're going to have graphic violence we might as well have graphic sex because it's all it's all much of a muchness which is kind of it's a it's a valid artistic position to take at the beginning but again it all comes back to in service of the story yeah um, I have no problem with it being in there when necessary and, and if the filmmakers want to do that, that's sorry, TV makers. Um, if the TV makers want to do that, then fine. That's that's as valid as any other artistic choice. However, not when it's unnecessary. I, yeah. I, mean, I think that's I, what a lot of these shows. I mean, we talked about True Blood. I mean, that's yeah. one thing that. I mean, I had to stop watching series one because it just got ridiculous. I'm like, it's fine to be in there. It's part of the show. There are humans sleeping with vampires, but it got very ridiculous. And there are some scenes where you're like. That served no purpose whatsoever to further the storyline, and I just wish you yeah. didn't bother putting it in. And and I think there's, there's sometimes a misconception, um, like there's there's a certain type of fan who will bash Tolkien for uh, and put down Tolkien and uh, say, oh, stuff like Game of Thrones is so much more adult because it um, deals with. Uh, sex and stuff like that, and I, and I, I don't think that's um, the case. I think it's it's doing different things. You can uh, be very adult and intelligent uh, without it, uh, and very un 
adult and intelligent with it, as well as being adult and intelligent with it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I think the idea of you know the West Wing, I think, is a good example of that. Yeah, you know, did it that very well. But then there's nothing to say that yeah, the ones with it in don't do it very well. It's just when they put it in. Yeah. For purely gratuitous reasons. Which is so, what Game of Thrones has been doing for at yeah. least the past three episodes. So I'm really hoping, I'm really hoping that they manage to rein that. Listen to our podcast. Yeah, listen to our podcast. To. Yes, listen, listen. Television producers, no more prostitutes, please. <laughs> <laughs> the fans have spoken. Yes. <laughs> Loudly, um, apparently. Yes, yes. So... <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on from sex and fun. Yeah, shall we, shall we move on? Uh, what, so, what would um, what would you say? Because um, you talked about how violence and um, no sex and politics being a bad combination. It's would a, would you say there's what other themes would you say are important to? Well, it's it's really the books and the show. I'm going to start using them interchangeably. I'm just, I'll just yeah. use the term a Game of Thrones. A Game of Thrones is actually quite a lot about power. And it's about, it's actually about the exercise of power, but very specific in a dynastic system. Because a lot of, because we were talking about sex and, sex and power, the reason I mentioned that is because it's a dynastic system. Bloodlines, bloodlines follow bloodlines. Mm. Whose father or whose daughter, you know, whose, whose son is more important than their ability. And in a way, it demonstrates both the weakness, the utter weakness of a dynastic system like that, because you get a series of Deeply inappropriate kinks, and it starts with it starts with in a Game of Thrones Robert Baratheon, who is the the first king. He's a disaster for the nation, but because he he took the crown from the head of the previous king, he's now in charge. And then later on, about spoilers, uh, try and avoid them for a minute. We'll come around. Okay, later on, later on in the book, though, a new king um, takes the throne, and he's just as inappropriate as the as the first one. And um, so what you see is basically you see how. In the case of a failed figurehead, you see how power works and how how it works through the hands of the advisors, who are ultimately the powers behind the throne, who pick, who end up looking at who should be there and really running this thing. And it's about that sort of cloak and dagger politics mm. of uh, sort of court life, and it's it's one of the best renditions of that. You never got that. I mean, to compare Tolkien and Martin is actually it's not it's a bit apples and oranges because yeah. Tolkien was myth, was mythological. And Martin's trying to write historically, or, or as as historical as you can be when there's a, a wall of ice 500 feet high, 600 miles along in the north. <laughs> you know, as, as best as best as you can be. Yeah, because there are the fantasy elements to it as as well. Well, dragons. Yes, dragons. dragons. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good way to open up dynastic politics. Dragons. <laughs> Sorry, dragons. Sounds Absolutely. good to me. So that would be another thing. Dragons. Dragons, just yeah. add dragons. Absolutely, <laughs> board of board of court life, dragons <laughs> to solve all your fire starting needs. Um, yeah, basically the dragons are quite interesting because they're, they're not in at the end of at the end of the first season. We have the scene where Daenerys, who now Daenerys is going back to dynastic politics. Daenerys is the the, the princess in exile. She is the daughter of the of the last king. Well, well, not she's not actually the daughter of the last king. She's the daughter of the last king, but one. Again, it starts getting complicated um, because it's dynastic. Era, in the back of the of Game of Thrones, there is actually there are actually trees and family trees and how everybody is connected to everybody else. And she's the she's in the what would be the east on a foreign in a foreign land, being supported just like Charles the Charles the Second hmm. when he was when he was out of power after the British Civil War. 
So she's and she's trying to get back to Westeros to reclaim what she deserves, what she regards to be her birthright. And she's probably the most fascinating character in there because she manages to awaken three dragons, the only three dragons in the whole world. And she's and they are hers, and they are bound to her. And because of this, what what happens in the later books is magic, which apparently seems to come from the dragons, starts to creep back into the world. And season two is going to be very, very interesting because we're going to start seeing magic and what the actual magic of this world does. Because, again, this is not this is in keeping with its, I hate the word, gritty sort of ideas. Magic is a very, very dangerous force. It's more like a force of nature than it is something you can control. And it always takes its, it always takes its cost. And because of that, that's going to be quite interesting to see how they do it. In the last episode, uh, in the last but one episode, there was a moment where one of the holy women, the wise women, performed a spell, and it was one of the most effective things I've ever seen because this wasn't this wasn't coloured lights. This was ancient and primal, and actually quite scary. And that's and that's kind of how how Game of Thrones approaches its use of magic, and that comes from the dragons. It's also going to cost them a fortune because they're entirely computer generated. <laughs> and she's had to have them on her shoulders at all times. So I'm not quite sure how they're going to do that. Lots of strapless dresses, I think. <laughs> Bare shoulders. The dragons at her should be alright. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Well, they could do the Merlin trick of uh, reusing the same <laughs> bit of CGI yes. every time. Uh, the dragon always la- lands and talks to Merlin in the same field, in the same position yeah. outside Camelot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you sat there going, oh, so you've had a dragon chained underneath the castle for the last two years. Funny how it always does the same thing. You think it'd be it'd change the routine and get less bored. <laughs> <laughs> Even when it's allowed out, it still lands in exactly the same place. <laughs> I, I, was all, I was terribly, terribly disappointed by the dragon in Merlin because uh, he was always set up to be this big sort of uh, neutral, chaotic element in the story, and actually he just turned into Merlin's plot whipping point, boy, plot boy, point, yeah. plot yeah. point dispenser. Absolutely. Really that, that said, if it's exposition you're looking for, getting a big dragon to do it is better than having naked women in the background. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't have been allowed that on Merlin. No, no. <laughs> so they went with the dragon. Yeah, I think that might be worse. Yeah, I think that might be that's one thing we didn't discuss in our Merlin podcast session. We didn't discuss the dragon at all. Mm. He's not that's in the last one very much, so. That's because he's boring. He's not in very much the last series I never... at all. Like, anyway, yeah. We're going off on tangent, as per usual. Again. Because it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting in respect, because Tolkien, as a point of contrast, he is very... Um, you've got uh, the whole idea of kingliness, especially in Aragorn. But the idea there is very much... Um, the idea of sacral kingship as a, as a reality in Middle Earth. Yeah. So uh, he really is of greater stature and um, more noble because he comes from the ancient bloodline of the Numenorean kings. Well, in A Game of Thrones, by contrast, taking it from... And again, it's myth, it's myth versus what would be regarded to be historic, uh, an, an idea of historical reality. In contrast, you've got a very similar situation. You've got a king from across the sea who settles, who brings peace to seven warring kingdoms. Mm. Except then it, they proceed to interbreed with each other, and by the end of it, they've all gone completely mad. The, Which, the, to be fair, does happen to um, uh, Numenor and to several of the civilizations that you have described in the appendices and in 
um, the Silmarillion, you do get some very uh, messy dynastic politics. You do. But, but um, you do also have Tolkien trying to recover something of that idea of a, that's very much idea that we've abandoned in the modern world of the kind of noble heroic king. The, the innate king, almost. The thing, the thing about that is, Martin definitely punches that myth because, all, because Lord of the Rings isn't really about the use of power. It's about, it's about a, it's about a, a mythological struggle between good and evil. Between well, between, it's about power as well. But it's, but it not to the, not to the same sort of level. I don't think because it doesn't go deeply into court politics, which is an awful lot of what the first and second books do. It's all about this quest thing. It's, 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 there's it's, some, there's a ring involved. I'm, I'm sure. It, it's, it's. <laughs> It's more about power, the personal effects of power, rather than on a wider social. And the, the other thing is, with Tolkien, he, he comes to the conclusion that those that have power deserve to have power. What Martin does is he very very eloquently, over the course of the books, demonstrates that, that those that have power have power, not because they have they are any more innately worthy of it or any more innately better for it, but they merely have it because they know how it works. Yeah. Well, I think with Tolkien it's a bit more nuanced to it than that because it's very aware of the dangers of power because uh, well, that's the whole point yeah. of the Ring of Power that it needs to be destroyed and so uh, that heroism lies in the renunciation of, of power uh, but, but also being quite sceptical of the ability of of that of people actually being able to do that because power is addictive. We never want to give up the ring. Frodo fails in the quest. It's only by the um, providential intervention of Gollum, a moment of divine grace, that uh, it's actually possible for the ring, for the lure of power to be defeated. So it's Lord of the Rings is quite cynical about power in its own way, but it also has that... Uh, Christian hope that uh, there's outside help, as it were. It would be first to say there is no hope mm. in in a Game of Thrones. Hope, hope is an ideal has been has been outlawed. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you're right. The difference, I guess, the difference is, and I think it's probably when when it was being written and what it's about. Yeah. The difference is that imagine they all got the ring. Yeah. In Lord of the Rings, and you've got what the characters act like in a Game of Thrones. They've all got the ring. They've all been driven quite mad by it, but they all desperately want it. Yes, um, they're like better-looking versions of Gollum. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Actually, I've never imagined Cersei Lannister like that. I don't think I ever. I'll never <laughs> see her the same way again. Lena Headley plays plays her as well. Actually, she's a really good actress. She was in, oh god, I'm going to say 300 now, but don't judge me. Um, did you think you're wrong, or do you think you've seen 300? Judge, judge me that I've seen it, because that's oh, okay. terrible. I haven't seen it. I've, I've you genuinely, genuinely not missing that. She was in the Sarah Cro- Connor Chronicles as well. Oh, oh right. she was. She played the title role, didn't she? Mm. Um, oh, that's all right. And she was also in The Bell of Actually, she's been in quite a lot. And she's she obviously returns to the cast for... Season two. So, do we talk about spoilers now? <laughs> if, if you like. Yes, yeah, well, should we so. move on? You're going to spoil Caleb and I, who have 
got there, but uh, well, they can leave the room, but, and I could just do you know read yeah, broadcast. <laughs> yeah, but we may, you may never stop if you leave it to yourself. And we, and we do have to <laughs> edit the podcast. So. But um, <laughs> we, 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 as a editor of a podcast, I do not like to know what's going out. On, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah, so, right. Yes, okay, so we'll move on to spoilers. So if people are leaving us here at this point, um, we hope you do enjoy reading it or watching it and or watching it without the spoilers that we're about to go through. Um, And when you do watch slash read it, come back and let us know what you think. But now we'll actually let you loose. You can now discuss spoilers regarding season one and your hopes for season two. Okay, season one basically ended, as I've already said, at the end of the first book. That is basically the kicking off point for a, for the dynastic conflict which is about to break out, called the War of the, War of the Five Kings. And the War of the Five Kings is because Robert Baratheon was murdered, and his son was meant to be taking over. His son is the illegitimate uh, is the Ill, is his illegitimate son between his wife and his wife's brother. Yeah, okay. it's an incestuous. It's an incestuous. Okay, yeah. All the children of Robert Baratheon have been produced by his wife, uh, with Cersei Lannister, the queen. And the queen's brother, a guy called Jamie. So they're totally legitimate, and this is this is what kicks off the plot in a Game of Thrones. This is because Sean Bean's character, Ned Stark, learns this, tries to tries to tell everyone, and then is promptly executed for his uh, hmm. for his troubles. I mean, all bravery to them, they went all the way with that one. Happens in the book, happens in the happens in the TV show, and I saw some wonderful reactions online because no, because unless you've read it, no one knows yeah. no one knows what's happening. So brilliant. So yeah, that's gonna that's all gonna kick off. The the major additions to the cast is gonna be a chap called Stannis because Robert Baratheon has three brothers. If his two brothers, three brothers, two two brothers, sorry. Um, if his children are illegitimate, obviously the crown has to pass to the eldest brother. Now they in the show they've talked about Stannis an awful lot, and I I know they probably couldn't afford to show him. But it was a weakness of the first season that they were all scared of a man called Stannis without ever actually showing who Stannis was. And Stannis is a soldier. He's a veteran of the wars that brought Robert to power. He's inflexible, utterly inflexible. And he believes in the divine duty of kingship, in the divine Mm. right of kingship. He is my brother. He dies. His children are illegitimate, illegitimate. Therefore, I am king. And there's, in his mind, there is never a moment where he says, I, you know, my, uh, this isn't anything that I deserve. This is what I deserve. This is what I am born for. So he's going to turn up. And he's probably one of the most interesting characters because we get, we get the war between Renly, who is the king's other brother, who is younger, therefore shouldn't be in power. And Renly goes to war with his own brother to try and take, take the crown. Now, because Renly's more charismatic, but, so you have a war between two brothers. The Lannisters, who are the house that support the king, are fighting the Starks. The Starks, having had, having had the head of their household executed as a traitor, went to war to try and bring him back. They failed, obviously, but their war continues because um, Rob, Rob Stark, is his son, obviously now the head of, of the Stark household. And in, in outrage, the Northmen have declared him the King of the North, Ill, illegitimately as well. They, he's basically just said, I am now the King of the North, and the South can take care of itself. So he goes to war to maintain the crown, which he has effectively won through victory. And it all gets territory messy, because a, um, a, a Clash of Kings, which is the second book, is basically just about that war. The whole season will be about the War of the Five Kings, plus 
Daenerys's ongoing actions, and something that we haven't mentioned, and probably should have actually by now, because we've been going, what, 38 minutes? Jon Snow. Jon Snow is Ned Stark's bastard son. And I don't mean that in the, in the curse sense, I mean literally in the he of a He's yes, a child yeah. of another mother. <laughs> he's not just an unpleasant child. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's an actual, you know, dictionary definition. So you've got Jon Snow in the north. Now he he joined a um, a unit of soldiers, a failing unit of soldiers, who garrison what's called the Wall in the north. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a big wall of ice which was created many thousands of years ago to keep out in the to keep out. Well, in the book they call them the others. In the in the TV show, they called them the White Walkers. The White Walkers is probably a better name because the others just sound silly. So you've got him now. He he doesn't actually do very much in the first book. Um, I watched I watched something very funny, which was an abridged version of Game of Thrones, and it, and every other shot consisted of John just standing there doing nothing <laughs> because that's what he in the first in the first season people are going to be looking. I I would imagine if you haven't read the books, people would be looking at John Snow and going, "What?" Why are you in this? Can you just explain to me why you're here? His his role gets infinitely more interesting because he takes the Night's Watch, the unit he's he's uh, part of. He takes the Night's Watch um, into the north, into the into the, the snow blasted wastes to find out what's happening, and it starts to be the building mystery of where are the White Walkers coming, are they coming, and if they are, what are we going to do about it? So. I mean, all of those elements are going to come out. What's fascinating about it is that the cast is going to expand even further because we meet many, many more new people. Daenerys continues continues to be the warrior queen. She's At the end of the first book, she, she brings the dragons back to life. In Bringing the Dragons Back to Life, she brings the magic back to life, as we've already said. But then she goes upon her, her crusade to reclaim her bloodline, which pretty much consists of her walking up to walk, just taking towns. Just summoning up an army through the through the the charisma that her dragons lent her, because she becomes the mother of dragons. So she becomes almost um, a Buddhist seer type character, and she's also fighting for a bloodline. Now, it's good. what's going to be interesting whether the show can manage it is by book five. So this is about five thousand pages later. Daenerys has still not managed to meet anyone else on the principal cast. <laughs> she has been marching on her own little crusade quite happily and she's not actually met anyone from book one and we're still in book five <laughs> <laughs> that's quite some going it is so it's going to be interesting if they can keep those those vital because the stuff which is going on in Westeros is very much um, it's sort of medieval hmm. you know it's a medieval conflict the stuff which is going on in the east is much is much more sort of fantasy as well and I, I worry actually I do worry that they're just going to come across as two entirely separate shows you could probably watch one Without watching the other, and not really miss much, hmm. um, and that's going to be that's going to be a risk that they've they've got to take if they're going to carry on with the story. And yeah, but and also I can't remember, Amelia Hurt. No, that's somebody else. I can't remember the name of the actress, but she's the the actress that plays Daenerys is brilliant. So they they'd be stupid if they got rid of her. The other person which should come into the fore is the Amelia Clark. Amelia Clark. Amelia Hirsch is that, that one off High School Musical, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Mm. But Amelia Clark. Yeah, Amelia Clark. She's absolutely she's an absolutely fantastic actress. But anyway, the hasn't been in anything. Anything of anything. No, of no, no. Anything. It's her first acting role. Well, she's been in other things. Has she? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, she was um, in Doctors. Was she? She was in Doctors. Oh wow. 
Triassic Attack. Triassic Attack. And the rest of her things are since Game of Thrones. So, yes, she has a list of three, five things altogether. That's amazing. I want to see the film Triassic Attack. Um, (laughs) Which actually is is 2010. But then everything else is, is later. Game of Thrones, which I don't recognise. Three dinosaur fossils are involuntarily brought to life by the owner of a museum, according to Wikipedia. Ah. I saw a film like that that was made in about 1930, so it's good to see that through the art of what it is. (laughs) (laughs) I I saw um, The uh, Extraordinary Adventures of the Del Blomkosek recently, which is is, uh, a lot of fun. It begins with a um, pterodactyl egg being uh, hatched in a museum in Paris. Yes, I've I've I read the reviews and I tried to find uh, cinema that would show it, and I can't. But I could find it, but I couldn't find it with um, I couldn't find it with subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Anyway, so the other person which you've got in there, which is great fun, is Tyrion. Tyrion Lannister. Tyrion Lannister is probably the most interesting character <laughs> in there because he's a dwarf and he's genuinely. A dwarf, yeah. and yeah, we, 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 we're not talking about uh, Lord of the Rings style dwarves who are sort of jolly miners in the mountains type, type thing. We're talking about a person of restricted growth. Yeah, but those those jolly miners in the mountains. Do you know what they do? They murder dragons. <laughs> yeah, they just turned up at a mountain one day. Oi! Well, <laughs> they don't murder dragons. They disturb the dragon, so he goes off attacks uh, the city of. Uh, will, Dale and yeah. uh, a, a human hero kills. They the led dragon. the dragon to be murdered. I, I genuinely felt very sorry for Snap. I don't <laughs> think he deserved it. You know, one day he's sat there on his treasure pile. Ha ha ha! I'm very happy. And then what happens? Dwarves turn up. <laughs> <laughs> um, the actor in question is uh, Peter Dinklage. Yes, and yeah. has most notable role, I think, in probably Chronicles of Narnia. Oh yes, Prince, Prince Caspian. Was he in Willow as well, or was that somebody else? Um, I have a feeling that was somebody else. It's not on the immediate list I'm finding. Mm. I did wonder whether he had any affiliation with Warwick Davis, because a lot of a lot of um, dwarf actors do, which would lead to that he could have well have been in Willow. Yeah. Uh, most likely then would have also been Harry Potter, yeah. um, because Warwick Davis supplied a lot of the actors for the, um, for the Harry Potter franchise as well. Yeah. It's not listed on his... Um, Okay. IMDb at the moment. He's he's done a lot of work. Yeah. He's done a lot of things. Um, Little, Elf. I mean, he was he was Emmy he was Emmy nominated for this one, and I don't know if he won. I've got a feeling he might have because he he has a look. Yeah, he um, earned the Emmy Award for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Drama Series and the Globe uh, Golden Globe Award. Well, that that's about right because it is it's the best role. I've, it's the best role for him. Uh, it's almost made for him. It's it's an amazing piece. Because what Tyrion lacks in physical stature, and this goes back actually to the conversation we were having about power, what Tyrion lacks in physical stature, he makes up by being one of the cleverest characters out there. And in being so clever, he is able to hold on to power when it would have slipped away from anybody else. And he's, he's as a character, he's written, he's He's written brilliantly, and he's absolutely genius. Hmm. And I'm really looking forward to it because in the first in the first book, he he sort of gets kidnapped and then meets a cell sword called Bron, and then heads off, gets knocked over in a battle, and that's pretty much it, to be honest. Hmm. In the second book, he begins. He learns to. In the first book, he's demonstrated to be devious. In the second book, he really demonstrates just how devious and clever 
mm. he is. And what's great about Peter Dinklage is that he yeah. actually brings a real charisma to the role as well. Tyrion is the book's hero without in a book which has no heroes. And I, I think that's going to be worth watching. To be honest, actually, that's probably the main reason to watch it, because he is so good in this. He's got an incredible cast. I mean, looking down the list while we're discussing this, we've got, I've got IMDb up there. Well, you used to have Sean Bean. Yeah. Well, yes. Um, but, I mean, even that, I mean, they're not necessarily huge names, but looking down, I recognise a lot of people in this. I'm neglected to find any of them currently. <laughs> I'm saying that. But, but it's got... I can't think of any names. It's got I'm dumb, trying to go through this. I mean, there's a guy from... Oh, I can't even pronounce his name. The guy was in Kevington. I only know him because he's a friend of mine. He's slightly obsessed with Charles Dance, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, he Dance. seems to be doing the, the rounds with a few of these sorts of things. And I'm sure I said that about Merlin because he was in that too. Yes. He seems to be going around. And of course... He was in from, that odd one, Trinity. Uh, he did Trinity as well. That's true. Strange. Yeah, that was very strange. I did watch that. Charles um, Dance has got an excellent role in this as well. He plays, I mean, he plays the elder Lannister. And um, yes. he plays he plays him perfectly, very very cold. Um, um, and it's got Ian Glennon as well, a, a Doctor Who alumni. Oh yes, uh, Father Octavian in uh, Time of Angels. That's I love that. I wish I could have known you better, actually, Doctor. I think I knew you at my best, which mm. is uh, absolutely brilliant. But he's he plays a character called Jorah Mormont, who is Daenerys's protector. Now Daenerys in the books she's about fifteen. In the show, she's probably a little bit old, she's probably 17, 18. And Jorah Mormont is, is probably the same age, he's about 40, and he's a disgraced ex knight mm-hmm. who is spying on her for. Oh, geez, I've done. <laughs> no, actually, no, it's made clear in the, um, it's made clear in the, in the final episode of the first season. He's spying on her for the people back in Westeros, but he begins to fall for her. Yeah. At the same time, and he's got—he's a fantastic character. I've pr- I praised him in the reviews, and I'll continue to praise him because his his portrayal of a man who was disgraced and left, and is now beginning to discover something which is worth you know fighting for and working working for. He's very very good. It, I mean, it, it helps that England is actually an absolutely fantastic yeah. actor. He was really good in Spooks as well in the series before last. I didn't actually see that sort of spooked. <laughs> I might have. No, no, I didn't. I mean, are you saying about the Lannisters? There's also Carl Davis, who was also most notably known for Emmerdale. Alton. See the previous comment on spooks. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I once had to watch a couple of weeks of Emmerdale for a writing course I oh. did, uh, which was slightly painful. I was going to say, well, I'm so sorry. He's not been in Emmerdale for a long time because he was in it when I used to watch it, which is when I lived with my parents. So uh, you're talking a good five years ago. He's not been in it. He's, Kingdom is something else he's done TV-wise lately. Mm. Um, also on the list, certainly for me, is who I recognised from the trailer when we watched just before we started this, is Natalia Tennant, who plays Tonks in the Harry Potter series. Yes. So, um, and she's playing... Osha. Osha. Yeah, Osha's quite interesting. She's a wildling from Beyond the Wall. The problem is, as soon as you start mentioning the character names, I'm immediately going to say, oh, that's quite interesting, because they all are. <laughs> <laughs> I could just keep going. There's quite a long There's list here. Harry Lloyd, uh, from, um, who is also in Doctor Who, is son of mine and uh, family of blood, human nature. Oh, yes. Yeah, um, not anymore though, um, because he came to a sticky end at the end of episode seven. The other thing, the other thing about Game of Thrones is it's. Uh, I've talked about the violence, but actually, what's great is the cheer, the 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 fact that in a lot of stories you have, you have that. I'm, I'm not a big fan of it, but you have that term plot armor, 
which is where certain characters yeah. are protected by elements in the plot. When when a situation is hopeless, they'll work out a way of getting out of it. Doctor, Doctor Who is almost yes. is the best example of it. He's a G-sex national in a blue box. Yes. Can, the, 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 the laws of um, narrative bend around him to make sure he survives. Exactly. Uh, it's you get um, it's the same thing that deflects the bullets of stormtroopers uh, in uh, the Star Wars uh, films are not bullets but ray guns. Uh, but I, but I believe the term is blaster. Blaster. <laughs> I stand corrected. Blaster. James will be most disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes. Um, but the great thing, the great thing about Game of Thrones is if a character is in has managed through their own through the actions of others, or even through their own actions. If a character has ended up in a, in a situation where they're they're going to die, it's brilliant because they just die. Hmm. And I, that's, mean, that's, I mean, we've we've discussed I think on a few at least a few podcasts now how a lot of the things we're reviewing they don't have the they're not brave enough to kill people. Oh, Game of Thrones cheerfully. And that's, I mean, that's one people. benefit of having such a large cast is that you know I could go through this list and you probably would tell us that some of most of them probably dead or quite a few I mean quite a lot a of, them of them are, are, are only like three four maybe five episodes of like the ones on this list yeah but don't forget this because it's, it's quite a, it's going to be it's a very widespread story yeah, so not so many of them yeah I mean, but, um, it does make it easier to kill them off which is, which is good. I think it's certainly it's a criticism I think I made of um, well, I made it of the Twilight series but I also made it of um, when we discussed Merlin was that you know just not enough people died and well, I still actually, feel like I'm channeling James when I make that comment, but actually, it's yeah. also true. Actually, Merlin's Merlin, um, the last series of Merlin, which I watched, that no one important died, but my God, they cheerfully killed off. Oh yeah, people so, died, but I, yeah, but I'm not bothered about faceless people dying. I want important people to die, but anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Morgana. <coughs> well, yeah, well, or if they do, they kill them in a really dull way, such as Uther. Well, yes. Uh, anyway, this is this is a Game of Thrones podcast, people, <laughs> not a Merlin podcast. I know this, but we've done the Merlin we podcast. We segue to all sorts of things. I'm but, just uh, about, yeah. t- ten tangents are part of the. Yeah, I know. So we all spend our time. But um, so there is, yeah. Needless to say, there is a lot, very large cast. It's a very large cast, us. many of whom will not make it to the end. <laughs> yeah. And and also another thing that is interesting is that George R. R. Martin is quite involved in the writing. He wrote a. Did you write an episode? He did. He wrote the, I think it was episode 7 or episode 8, which is the, the moment when the Lannister betrayal, which is when the Robert Baratheon dies and the Lannisters effectively make their coup to drive all the Starks, to either kill the Starks, capture them or drive them out of the castle to take control. Sadly, it was actually one of the weakest episodes, so I'm not sure that's a good thing. I, I maybe love, he should stick to writing the books. Maybe he should stick to writing the books. Yeah, I'm, he's writing an episode in season two, which is the the Battle of the Blackwater, which is the big battle outside the capital city. So it's going to be good to see how that works. the The major issue with season two is they're going to they're going to be doing a war, right? And it's about the war. They haven't actually managed to show a battle yet because they can't. They can quite clearly not afford it. So potentially, this could. Detrimental to a series that could be that should be potentially all about a war. Yes, they're not. They may not actually show the war. But it has gone. I mean, in terms of success of the program, it's gone very, very well. So one would hope that potentially they've got a little bit more scope, they've got, a little bit more money. Dare I say, well, um, this time round. I would hope. I mean, but the problem, the problem is that the the scale of the stuff because it's fantasy. The scale of the stuff which they're actually trying to describe would actually would actually dwarf most. Medium-sized films, 
to be yeah. honest. I mean, you, you need to do you need to have something on the scale of the Lord of the Rings to actually do justice to the prose. So what they could do is they could make the battles smaller, which would be absolutely fine, just as long as they show them. Because in the last season, what happened was you saw Rob Stark ride off to face off against their their great enemy, you know, the Lannisters, and he rode off on his horse with his guards, and they rode back again, <laughs> and then said, "I say." That what a what a glorious battle that was, and proceeded to describe <laughs> what happened in the battle. And you said the game, but you've shown everything else. So, so at one point we were saying that there was too much sex and not enough talking. At other points, there's too much talking and not enough fighting. Basically, yeah. yeah pretty okay. Much. <laughs> so they seem to have some balance issues between what they do show and what they don't show. Then, maybe. pretty much. <laughs> um, I, it was just it was just a bit of a disappointment to be honest. I was expecting. Even even something arty and impressionistic, you know, would have been good. Or even some sort of showing the aftermath of the battle. And they did show the aftermath of the battle, but they got through it by cheating because the other battle in the same episode had Tyrion, you know, about what is he about three foot six? He manages to meet some troops in an earlier scene, and he he sort of he marshals them in, in a great even battle speech. And then as they're running out to fight, somebody knocks him on the head, and he falls over. And you don't see the battle. Which, mean, which is the, very like the end of the Hobbit. No, very much the, like the, the yes. gets whacked yeah. on the head, which I'm sure um, won't stop Peter Jackson turning the um, uh, Battle of the Five Armies into a three-hour set piece. Yeah, uh, probably. Yeah. Uh, but but it, but you are aware that as soon as you know Martin Freeman gets knocked on the head, it'll just cut to Legolas <laughs> and Orlando Bloom. Oh. I don't know. Back flipping while firing five arrows <laughs> into the resurrected remains of Smaug because they can. I don't know. Zombie Smaug. <laughs> it's Peter Jackson. We, do, we have no idea what's going to happen. I have to say, that's something that Lord of the Rings hasn't had to about the zombies, I suppose. But, uh... Well, it, it was going to happen. Zombies seem to get everywhere. They are like the most persistent creatures in the world. It might. Actually, that's not so, such a remote possibility. I was going to say, the look on your face. Oh, because, uh, because uh, Sauron is at this point the necromancer oh, in I don't Dol- remember The Hobbit Gilded. well enough. So, this uh, is in the appendices. Oh, I haven't read that. So. Off-screen appendices of Lord of the Rings and sort of off-screen, as it were, uh, in The Hobbit. It's where Gandalf keeps disappearing off, <laughs> off to. He, 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 he disappears at convenient moments for the pot so that he's not there to uh, rescue them all the time. That's no anti-plot armour. Yes. Um, it's like, oh, I've got this incredibly powerful wizard with them. Mm, what shall I do? I'll just send him off on some undisclosed uh, mysterious <laughs> mission somewhere. <laughs> so there we go. We've, uh, we've gone off on another tangent there. But um, we're very good at that. Absolutely. I'm, I'm but, looking forward uh, to the whole bit. <laughs> Me too. Uh, yeah, we discussed it uh, in the, uh, the last points too. E- 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 even with possible zombies. Zombies, <laughs> yes. Well, there are, there are zombies. There are lots of zombies in Game of Thrones. They're all up north. You know, yeah. where, so that would be like the equivalent of Scottish zombies. I guess it's... Um, not so removed from historical reality. Hadrian's uh, <laughs> Wall, Scotland above zombies, uh, oh, the Scottish. God. I read. Have you read um, this book called The Zombie Survival Guide by a guy called Max Brooks? I believe no, I James have. has mentioned it. It's that they actually say that the reason Hadrian's Wall was built was to stop the Scottish zombies <laughs> coming down. And I, I sort of read that. I'm like, Romans versus zombies. It's another mashup movie just yeah, waiting to happen. Oh dear. 
we've already got knights versus zombies, and we will as soon as they get to that point in probably about three years' time. Cowboys versus aliens. Yeah, well, not that I saw that. Russell C. Davies is developing wizards versus aliens versus CBBC. What, like Merlin versus E2? Something like that. Something like that, yeah, it was announced recently that that's what he's working on next. It's a replacement for the Sarah Jane. Sarah Jane. Okay, I think that about wraps it up for the (laughs) Game of Thrones podcast. It's good to have you with us, Kieran. Thank you very much for your insight and opinions. (laughs) So. Thank you, listeners. Uh, if you've been reading Game of Thrones or watching it, or indeed uh, inspired to read or watch it, uh, don't blame by, me. <laughs> by yes, it's all Kieran's fault. want to uh, weigh in on any of the stuff we've discussed, such as is there too much? Too many prostitutes in the TV series. Lesbian <laughs> prostitutes. Lesbian <laughs> prostitutes. Let's be specific here. Um, uh, yeah, if you, if you have any thoughts on uh, any of those, oh, issues, the lack of fighting. <laughs> yes. Um, then please do get in, get touch, in touch, and we'll in the next point of view we'll have any feedback. Yes. Thank you for joining us. Bye. Bye. Bye.